Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. I saw a great t-shirt recently that reads, Normal isn't coming back, Jesus is. It's a great saying because people are wanting to have life get back to normal after COVID, when the real focus should be that of the return of Jesus Christ. With that said, what has occurred in the last two years that's leading us closer to the return of Jesus Christ? Well, it's time to examine the many changes that we've seen to see if they match up with what the Bible says the world would look like before Jesus returns. I'm Debbie Blank, excited to get back into our study of current events to see how they match up with Bible prophecy. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. Speaking of t-shirts, I saw one that compared Biden's new disinformation bureau with George Orwell's evil Ministry of Truth from his novel 1984. It pictures Big Brother's evil controlling eyes and says, make 1984 fiction again. It's another sign of people wanting life to get back to normal, but this fear of where we may be headed. Many important thoughts are being summed up on humble t-shirts. But the Bible is the best source for being alert to signs of the future oppressive world government and the events leading up to it. Since the recent pandemic, is there evidence that it has brought us even closer to the rise of Revelation's global government and evil antichrist? Or for the global economic system, which will be able to require a special mark for anyone to be able to buy or sell. We'll be sharing a lot of that evidence with you today. I'm glad you mentioned the oppressive world government, because a lot of people think, oh, yeah, it's time. Our government isn't working right, and we do work with all other countries around the world, so it is time for a world government. What we don't understand, however, is that if you have our government today controlling us in new ways, the big brother attitude that you just mentioned, what's it going to be like with the world government? They will put more control on us than we could ever imagine. They talk about a world government being freedom and everyone being one accord, working together, unified, but it hasn't worked yet. We've had the United Nations since 1945 desiring to bring us together in a peaceful coexisting world, and it hasn't worked. Before that, we had the League of Nations, which was dissolved because it didn't work to bring peace on earth. One of the biggest signs of the return of Jesus Christ is a one world government. The Bible predicts it in numerous places. One of them is in Daniel chapter 2. If you recall, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about a statue. Daniel was the only one who could tell the king what his dream was and then interpret it for him exactly as God said it would happen and exactly as world history has proven it to be. What Daniel said of the statue is that the head of gold on the statue was the Babylonian Empire. After that would be a breastplate of silver, which would be a country that would arise after the Babylonian Empire. Then there would be a third kingdom of bronze, which would rule over the earth. And finally, a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, as much as iron crushes and shatters all things. And then there would be a final kingdom that would come out of the fourth kingdom 
in that this kingdom now is one of the feet and the toes. But it's different because it's not only made of iron, but partly of pottery or partly of clay. The Bible tells us in Daniel 2, 44, in the days of those kings, that's the final world kingdom of the feet of clay and ten toes and iron. It says, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it itself will endure forever. What this statue story is telling us is that there would be four world kingdoms that ran in succession to each other, which we know they did. The Babylonian Empire, then the Medes and Persians, then Greece, and finally Rome. Those would be world kingdoms controlling the world, but specifically controlling Israel, because this is a prophecy about Israel. Then there would be a time period before this final kingdom would come into play. And we know that because once this final kingdom is in the leadership, it'll be destroyed and Christ will set up his kingdom here on earth. We know that hasn't happened yet. What it tells us from the statue is there's one final world kingdom or one world government, we might call it, that will be established before Jesus Christ returns. That's what we're talking about when we talk about a global government. It's this final entity that will have control over the entire world. So it's interesting to note that way back in Daniel, that many years before Christ even, that this was predicted, this series of world kingdoms, which you have named off now that we know have happened in history. We know that those parts of that prophecy have been fulfilled. And then there's a part or two yet to be fulfilled that we're waiting for. We just did a study on Revelation, and we know that there's a lot of this described in Revelation 13 and in Revelation 17 as well. But it's good to know that you look back, this isn't just in the New Testament. This is something that goes back to the Old Testament prophets And we'll see a correlation in Revelation 13 and 17 because it tells us that the beast coming up out of the sea in Revelation 13 too, he had 10 horns and seven heads. Look at the 10 toes in the statue of Daniel. Revelation 17 tells us that those are 10 kings who give their kingdom to the Antichrist. We know in modern days that the United Nations has developed their sustainable development program that they have divided into 10 nationalities, 10 kingdoms, 10 areas, whatever you want to call it. And they actually publish that on their website. I've got a picture of it from 2009. It matches up with what the Bible says. That tells us that the United Nations for a long time has had the same goal of a one world global entity to unite all the nations together. And they are the only entity in modern times that has had the authority over all 195 known nations in the world. So we're leaning there and have been since 1945, since the establishment of the United Nations. And even before that, going back to the 1920s and 30s, I have quotes from almost every single president and some major world leaders supporting a global government. Well, in order to have a global government, that means that the governments or the countries of the world must come under authority of that global government. That means the United States is going to have to lose its power as the preeminent world power. We will have to decrease so that the one world government can increase. 
that's exactly what we're seeing today. And it's all come to a head, really, under COVID, as the power of our government has taken control over our people, over you and I, to make our personal decisions, to have our freedom of speech, even to have guns in our home. Some of the Constitution that we have stood on is crumbling before our feet with modern-day politics and under the guise of COVID. We're going to discuss some of those today, now that you understand the importance biblically of this one-world government. We do know that we have a biblical basis, that Bible agrees with Bible passages that might have a little bit different imagery, but it has the same numbers of divisions of the world, and then you come up with that with the UN and the New World Order, and even some of our most recent presidents, I saw a montage of them all speaking about the New World Order, not every one of them, but most all of them. We know that we need to be looking for that, and we can look around us at the current events that you mentioned, and we're going to get more specific here with some of those, but the things that are happening since COVID have had things accelerate. So we're going to point out some of those things that are accelerating. One thing that we've all walked through is the lockdowns, the mask mandates, the vaccine requirements, the changes in all of that over the last couple of years, all of which was said to draw us into a healthier environment to keep us safe and in in COVID more quickly. Well, in the last two years, we found out that wasn't the case. There have been numerous studies on masks to show that they do work or they don't work. There have been other studies to show that the vaccines do work or they don't work, that there may be problems with them, or certainly that many people who've had the vaccine and the boosters have gotten COVID. So we're getting skewed evidence or proof as to the validity of the things that they have told us about. But the key is that the government came in and said, this is for your good. And they locked down the country, supposedly for two weeks. And we found that in many cases, it was for a year and a half where they've closed some things down. Has it worked? What would have happened if we hadn't closed down the country? In Sweden, for example, they didn't close their country and they were more effective in fighting COVID than we've been. Israel locked down their country. Everybody was required to have a vaccine and they had several times, four I believe, where they had a resurgence of COVID and had to react to that. The point though of the lockdowns and the masks and the vaccines are not to discuss here whether they were right or wrong, but to look at what they did to us. What they did was bring us into conformity because they told us it was best for us. Was it? They brought us into this political correctness of following the rules of the government. Even so much so is the idea of canceling people from their jobs, firing them if they didn't agree with the words that were being used by their company or their hospital or their government. So we were pretty well coerced into conformity. How many of us did conform? How many of us said, well, wait a minute, I want more information. Let's see how this all works out before we move forward on making these changes. What we find is that a lot of people were shut down when they tried to be critical thinkers, tried to question or examine a lot of what was happening. And they were called the outsiders. They were shamed into compliance. Really, all of this stuff set us into two categories, the ones that followed the government and the ones that were critical thinkers or question, 
doesn't mean they didn't agree with the government or the leaders, but they questioned them, but they weren't allowed to. That's where we have the first aspect of COVID where the government told us what to do. And if we didn't agree, we were the outcast. We've heard politicians say, never let a crisis go to waste. Over the centuries, this has been played out. In order to gain power over people, it's important to bring about a crisis or take advantage of a crisis. Either way, it works to get the people to be so afraid that they will do things and give up freedoms that they would never think of doing otherwise. But because of the fear of what's going on, they'll surrender for security. The entity in power takes advantage of that, oftentimes saying this is for your own good. It's all couched in benevolent language, but it ends up that some of the freedom at least is given up over time. And if it happens again, if there's another crisis, then some more is given up and some more power is taken by that entity. So that's the pattern that we're kind of looking for right now. If you use your own common sense, try to pay attention to what your instincts tell you, what the facts seem to say to you, then that's very important to be aware of that and to push back in case this isn't for your own good. You mentioned two very important words there, fear and freedom. We have allowed fear to control us and cause us to come under the subjection of people that we may or may not agree with. Is it wrong to support your government? Absolutely not. We're supposed to pray for our government leaders, but we need to use our own resources and intelligence and do our own research rather than listening to what's out there. The point is, We have proven in this country now in the last two years that we will submit out of fear to whatever the government tells us to do. That has given them control over us in a whole new way. The first major control was in 2001 when the Patriot Act was signed and we gave the government control to monitor anything that we do, to monitor where we are and what we're doing and even what we're saying in order to stop terrorism in this country. And now we have this, we've given them control because of fear over what we will do and how we will follow them. Along with that, then dealing with a pandemic, you just talked about a second crisis. Well, it may or may not be a pandemic. It could be a world war, it could be any of a number of things. Later this month, at the end of May, there is going to be a World Health Assembly sponsored by and hosted by the World Health Organization. It's going to be in Geneva, Switzerland. It's going to be attended by delegates from 192 countries. That's virtually every country on the face of the earth. During that meeting, the members are going to vote on 13 amendments that the United States has provided. Well, you think when we've provided them, then they must be really good amendments. But according to everything I've read, they're sovereignty killers. They take away the authority of all the countries on earth when it comes to a pandemic, and they give the authority to the World Health Organization. When you consider what happened in Douglas County, Nebraska, several months ago, when the Douglas County Health Director, Lindsay Hughes, forced a mask mandate on the people in Douglas County without the support of the Douglas County Commissioners, the Omaha City Council, the mayor, the governor, the state senators. She had no support from anyone, but she deemed it necessary and she made that decision. Everyone was forced to follow it. Well, it doesn't matter if it was good or bad. That's not the point here today. The point is that that's exactly what will happen with the World Health Organization. Stop and think about it. This is a World Health Organization whose goal is to support all the nations in the world. What happens if there's a pandemic in Africa? They shut down Africa. 
they close the doors, say you can't work, you can't go outside, you can't do anything. Well, then there's a fear that it might spread to other countries because we are universal world these days and can travel anywhere. So then they shut down Europe and then Asia and then the United States, and they would have the authority to do that. They will have control, legal control over all health issues, pandemic issues in the whole world, because we, the United States and these other 192 nations have given it to them. Consider this. The amendments will not require the approval of our United States Senate. We would have no authority to say no. If they said you must have a vaccine, we would have to have a vaccine. It wouldn't be voluntary. It would be forced. If they say we have to close all of our businesses, then we have to do it. There's no objectivity. There's no critical thinking. There's no disagreement. You must do what they say. This is going to be voted on at the end of May by all these world delegates at the World Health Organization. This is what I don't understand about treaties like this, or this isn't even called a treaty. I don't know what they're calling this. I don't know who these delegates are from the United States. I didn't remember voting on anyone. I don't know if they were just selected by someone, appointed. And so there are these people that are unelected and unaccountable. And then they go to this world organization and they give up our sovereignty. I mean, right away I thought, this is unconstitutional. They can't do this. So I don't really understand how it could actually be legal because it is unconstitutional. However, we have seen recently how the government has done many unconstitutional things, and we've just had to take it. So I'm looking at this with a great deal of trepidation because I don't understand how it could be legally binding and supersede the United States Constitution. But that's what they're saying. That's exactly what they're saying. It would cause us to be legally binding and supersede the Constitution and any other laws that we had. That's why President Reagan once said, one of the traditional methods of imposing statism or socialism on a people has been by way of medicine. It's very easy to disguise a medical problem as a humanitarian project. That's what we're going to see through the World Health Organization. If we trusted the group, if they have proven themselves trustworthy, that might give us more cause to trust when what they're saying and what they'll do. But in fact, they have proven untrustworthy during the COVID crisis in the decisions they've made, in the statements that they've made, in the false statements that they've been found out to be inaccurate. So I would be really concerned to follow exactly what they tell me. I'm one of these trusting people, or at least I used to be. But when I go to my doctor and he tells me, you need to take a pill for this or you need to do that, I go, well, wait a minute, stop. Is there another method? Is there something else I can do? I don't just trust someone because they tell me to do something. I want to make sure it's best for me. And I can do my research and at least come up with enough questions that I can take my questions to somebody and ask them. But here you can't do that. It's going to be a total change. This is our health concern. Now look at our financial concern. We've talked before how the World Economic Forum and the United Nations Agenda for 2030, or the Sustainable Development Agenda, will bring about a world economic system. There's so many parts to that, and we're not going to go into them all, but we do want to focus on a couple of them. One is their three main components. In these components, they want to steer the market towards fairer outcomes. In other words, governments should implement long overdue reforms that promote more equitable outcomes. What does equitable mean? 
It means redistribution of wealth. For example, when we talk later about famines, what we're finding right now is the United States is talking about sending our food supplies to other nations. Well, I'm glad we can help other nations, but the concern is we don't have enough food supply here for our nation, and it's going to get worse in the next six months. We're told we could have an all-out famine in the United States in six months. So why are we sending our food to other places? That's a redistribution of wealth or food. The whole goal of the United Nations Sustainable Development is to cause a tax on the wealthy nations so that the poor nations can be taken care of. We have to be cautious about that. I'm all for helping the underprivileged, but pouring money into nations isn't really the way to do that. Going in and training them up to develop their own food and resources and businesses is the way to do it, not just pouring out money. So one thing is to steer the market towards fairer outcomes, which is the redistribution of wealth. The second component is to ensure that investments or taxes advance shared goals, such as equality and sustainability. Well, who determines what's equal and who determines what's sustainable? Really what they're saying here is groupthink or more appropriately, socialism. They're gonna ensure that our money is used for their goals that they consider to be equitable to other people, which is communism. And then their third goal is harnessing the innovations of the fourth industrial revolution to support the public good. Now, the public good is an acronym for government control. When the government says this is all for the public good, as they did for shutting down our country for COVID, That means they're in control as to who works and who doesn't work and where the money goes and where it doesn't go and to everything that happens in between. Those are three components of the World Economic Forum. Where is the support coming from for this World Economic Forum? I don't know if the people are giving support, but certainly there are leaders that are giving support to it. We have huge companies that are giving support, like Pfizer and Moderna. We have Facebook and Google and Apple and Amazon other companies that are supporting as well as governments and government leaders. In our case, John Kerry said the Great Reset will happen with greater speed and with greater intensity than a lot of people might imagine. Obviously, that means he supports it. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, who is quoted as saying, this is our chance to accelerate our pandemic efforts to reimagine our economic systems that actually address global challenges. Reimagine, that's a word we want to watch out for, but one that's used by the World Economic Forum. The UN World Economic Forum Partnership was signed actually back in 2019. Their goal being meeting the sustainable development goals is essential for the future of humanity. We've been watching the United Nations Sustainable Development Program for 15 years now, and its goal is to have everything in place by 2030. All of it ties in with the World Economic Forum. And again, they're using COVID-19 as part of the excuse for doing this. So that it says there is an urgent need for global stakeholders to cooperate in simultaneously managing the direct consequences of the COVID-19 virus. So they're going to do this to improve, quote unquote, the state of the world. And yet we have seen over the last two years that some of these people like Tedros, who heads the World Health Organization, is not a doctor. Dr. Fauci has proven himself to be wrong over and over again. So just two examples of the people that we're supposed to trust 
after we've learned not to trust them. This is, again, really upsetting to me to give government control over all of these personal things. If you control someone's health, you control everything. Also, if you control their food, you control everything. Now, if you control their money, you control everything. What will we have left but a benevolent dictator, supposedly, hopefully benevolent? You mentioned stakeholder. That's something that people are not used to. We're used to the term shareholder. Mm -hmm. A shareholder is someone who owns stock in a company. So we have a vested interest because we gain money from the resources of that company. But a stakeholder is someone who's impacted by or has a stake in a project that they're supporting or working on. Let me give you an example. We have health insurance. We received a letter a couple years ago saying that they were moving to a stakeholder type of mentality, which is that as long as everything's fine, this will be our payment that we make every month. But if there's a problem, since we're a stakeholder in the company, instead of the company losing money, we're going to have to pay more for our insurance because we're part of that company now, but we can't make decisions and we don't own it, but we're going to be responsible for paying for it. So the World Economic Forum is talking about stakeholders. Watch for that term, because that is nothing short of socialism. Another way to drag us away from our personal economic freedoms and put us in control of the government and what they tell us we can use. Remember, this is the World Economic Forum. It has to do with how the money in the world is spent. It won't be our country deciding it. It won't even be us deciding it. It'll be this international group that's going to make decisions for us in our country. If you look at Joe Biden's goal when he ran for president and still is, it's build back better. A fascinating that that is the exact same slogan used by the World Economic Forum and the Pope and even Prince Charles in England. That tells me right there that we are already part of this global governance. We just haven't seen it come to fruition yet. But we, at least under the guidance of our current president, is to build us into this one world government that will supersede our Constitution. Many of our leaders currently do, and certainly the deep state has supported that for decades. They're all directing the World Economic Forum to where they want to be. As a matter of fact, on November 29, 2020, Amir Safadi, who runs a great ministry out of Israel, He showed a 40-second video produced by the World Economic Forum's Global Future Councils. And in that video, it said, the United States won't be the world superpower. A handful of countries will dominate. Interesting, because they are recognizing the United States is going to be out as a superpower. But what they're saying is even more disconcerting. And that is, we're out, but others are going to be in who will dominate. What if they're Russia? What if it's China? or some other communist country that's dominating the World Economic Forum. And you say, well, that can't happen. Why not? (laughs) Well, we have already run out of time and we have so much more. Stay tuned for next week because these situations that will come about after COVID affect each one of us personally as to our wealth and our resources and our food and everything that we have and will be required to give up. But more importantly, they also point to the times being ripe for the return of Jesus Christ. And while we should be concerned that our government is changing things, we need to remember that our 
Citizenship is not in this world, it's in heaven. And that's where we need to focus our attention rather than getting angry or fearful because of these things that are coming about or that have changed. We need instead to be hopeful, looking for that blessed hope of the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Put your faith in Jesus. He will never disappoint you. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.